today on the Entrepreneur Circle. Let's just run an intelligent business. We're not trying to predict market cycles. And so we started to acquire some real estate. One thing I've always learned in, in starting companies is, uh, I'm a big sports fan. I always feel I may not be able to control my shooting percentage, but I can control how many shots I take. Hey there, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle podcast, where we inspire you by talking to entrepreneurs and business owners about mindset, goals, vision, tips and strategies on how to crush life and business. I am your host, Eric Cabral, real estate investor and a creative. I've been in the creative industry for over 20 years, got my start in New York City as a junior art director, and made my way up the corporate ladder to become the creative director at the number one pharma company in the world. That was until I decided to hang up my corporate hat and start my own creative agency called On Air Brands, where we broadcast your brand and your message using social media and live stream events. Hit us up at info at onairbrands.com to learn more. Also, like subscribe and share this podcast on social. We greatly appreciate you for it. And also don't hesitate to send us any feedback that you may have because we always love, love, love hearing from you. Before we jump into the show, I'd like to share what some of our sponsors, partners, and friends of the show have to offer you. Hello, this is Josh McCowan, CEO of Viva May Hospitality and the beautiful Renault Resort Winery. I have to tell you, the secret's out. And the secret is On Air Brands. On Air Brands Creative Agency, which specializes in launching podcasts, transforming live events into live streaming events, and social media marketing soup to nuts. On Air Brands has changed the game. There'll never be a day from here forward when you and I and our companies don't need to be on the air. Every brand needs to be on the air, but so few know that. So it's great to work with a group that are ahead of the curve and to find a company that has been built on the core foundation of the future of marketing. If you're ready to broadcast your brand like they've done for my brands, take the next step and make a change that can transform your business. Reach out to On Air Brands today. That's onairbrands.com. Yes, onairbrands.com. Hey, folks. On today's episode, we have Chad Gallagher, who's the co-founder of Slate House Group. And he and his partner, Nate, have um, grown this company really quickly over the past few years. He and his team manages over 3,000 units across New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. And they do that all for real estate investors. Um, so Slatehouse owns over 200 units um, themselves. And he has raised about 2 million or over 2 million as a part of a Slate House syndication, which used to acquire, they use that syndication to acquire $8 million in property, which is insane. Uh, Slate House, they also have a brokerage, brokerage division, and that's also New Jersey PA. And they have 20 agents in that firm, which is really cool. They focus also on working with investors um, and helping them to buy real estate. So another really cool thing that Chad and his team are doing, that Slate House is doing, is they've recently uh, launched something called The Hive, which is a 
co-working space. It's a really cool, sexy co-working space. Um, and they have three offices in um, PA, New Jersey, and now in Maryland. But what's really cool, and I've become a part of the Hive, and um, you'll, you'll start to see more content coming from the Hive from on-air brands. And we're really cool. It's really cool. And we're so super excited to be jumping in with uh, uh, the Hive and Chad and everybody that works in the Hive. Because what the Hive is, is um, it's an environment. It's a culture for entrepreneurs to, to share ideas, to um, just brainstorm. Whenever you have a problem, you can just step out of your office um, and look for people that are in the environment you know and they could be something very complimentary to your business or even not you know which is always something really cool to leverage when you have people that aren't in your space uh, often things um, that you can you know out of the box um, solutions for you so I highly I highly recommend checking that out and looking for a location near you at hiveoffice.com so without further ado let's get to the episode with Chad Gallagher from the Slate House Group we are here at The Hive in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, formerly known as the DeRosa Group. And um, it's still sort of the, the DeRosa Group DNA. No, I'd say it's The well. Hive. It's, yeah. Well, it, it used to be. We, we've transformed the building into Yes, it definitely uh, is transformed. It's awesome. Uh, it's a new WeWork-ish type of co-working space. Yeah. And Chad Gallagher is the principal and the, the showrunner here for that. And um, we're, we're, in, we're here and we're doing it and, and we're testing it out. Um, and, and and we started to get into Chad's origin here, his 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 story about entrepreneurism and and how that spirit sort of kicked off. Yeah. So uh, I was just talking about how my entrepreneur kind of spirit got started, and uh, it, I the, the thing I the joke I always tell is that uh, all the all my friends who were the guys in my wedding party. Uh, they are all. I've all created a business with one of them, each of them along the way, to varying levels of success. And the first one of those was a lawn mowing business, actually. And uh, you know, I remember basically what happened was I was you know maybe twelve years old, and all my friends were shelving groceries at a grocery store over the summer, and I decided to kind of take over my dad's lawn mowing business. And uh, I remember being so nervous because that. The first thing he did in the summer was you go door to door and you literally knock to see if someone wants their lawn mm-hmm. mowed. And I mean, I look back at that now and say, well, that's not that's not too bad. You know, you just, I mean, those people probably need their lawn mowed and you're mm-hmm. asking if they need their lawn mowed. It's not that. But at the time, I was terrified. I was so nervous and didn't know what to say. And But it was interesting as I fought through that. And I, I will give my parents a lot of credit for kind of encouraging me to do that and, you know, take those anxious moments of learn how to actually talk to someone maybe you've never met before. On the flip side, you know, when all my friends were making $6 an hour and hated their life, I was not only mowing yards at maybe making $22 an hour, but I was setting my own schedule. And so I was able to do things around that, like play sports uh, or, or whatever else I wanted to be doing. So I was making, you know, probably two or three times what my, my friends were making. Uh, I was hanging out outside instead of being stuck in a grocery store. Yeah. And, and set my own hours. I think, man, it's, I'm, I'm a math guy at heart, and and that, uh, I, I, oddly enough, I think that 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 truly did stick in me. As if you can put in the time up front to do the stuff that nobody wants to do, then you can have a things can kind of work out better on the on the flip side. And so I think that that's probably what got me into it to begin with. 
uh, and the rest is kind of history. I so guess. your father's mowing business was that? So that was a legit business. He had like dozens of customers. And uh, yeah, probably was, ten to ten to fifteen. Okay, I and mean, he was a school teacher during the year. Okay, yeah, so that was sort of his side hustle. Side though. hustle. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, he was his way of just making some money on the, on the side. Okay. But uh, but you know that's unusual. I mean, the average school teacher on the summer just yeah. doesn't do anything, right? right? And so <laughs> yeah. right, and, and so. Uh, but he, you know, kind of instilled in me this. Uh, the spirit of, you know, you, you know, you have the potential to do whatever you want in life, and, you know, you could take the easy way out and and take that minimum wage job at McDonald's, or you could try to create something. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it it teaches you responsibility and self discipline, and it definitely sets you apart from your friends as far as like. Um, you know, just being organized and and, um, and and holding yourself accountable, right? You know, so it. So, what age was that? I was probably eleven. Eleven. Yeah, I was pretty yeah. young. Uh, so, so what was the next phase of your entrepreneur <laughs> journey? Yeah. So the next phase was, I. Well, so coming out of college, I. I was an engineering major, mm-hmm. and so I had an opportunity to do a couple. I had I was lucky enough. I went to the University of Virginia, and at the time, the economy was doing really well. A lot of demand for engineering students, and so there was a lot of options of where to go. And I, I had offers from consulting companies who were offering more money, um, engineering firms, more kind of traditional places to go, and I ended up going to a company called advertising.com, which was uh, essentially at the time the largest ad network and really the, well, probably the first large digital ad network, um, essentially showing display ads and, and video ads to people all over the internet, mm. um, founded by an, an engineer. And so I went there. I wasn't the founder of the company, but I was early enough and it was still a risky play. I mean, most of my friends were taking more conservative approaches and so I went there and uh, learned a lot from the founders and, and early team members of what it takes to build a successful, not just company, but just a successful culture, And uh, which was great. And, and, but I, I, it was interesting. I mean, I, I took one thing I've always done in my life, it seems. I've uh, taken less money up front, uh, but higher upside. Mm-hmm. And, and that was no different. And... Uh, you know, I remember my actually my, my my girlfriend at the time ended up taking a consulting gig where she was making significantly more than me, uh, but but she quit that six months later, mm-hmm. right? Because she hated it and it yeah. was going nowhere, right? right. And so uh, I think that you know one one lesson I I take to heart is just trying to avoid being stuck in making the short term decision as and it just sounds so cliche, right? But yeah, but it's not. It's true, <clears throat> and that's what the majority of folks and that's how we're sort of bred and taught in school you know to to take that best the, whatever the best job offer is yeah, you know and, and trade time for money basically yeah exactly and it's funny cuz they don't even tell you you know i guess this would come from our parents but you know like what are, what are the stock options what are, what are the benefits of taking that job and that position what valuable right. uh, lessons are you going to learn and what is what are you going to get what are you going to be once you're out of that yeah, yeah, what's the next step? How's, yeah, it, how's, yeah, it, how's exactly. it actually? I mean, hey, think about it. I think, man, this is such a good lesson. It's like, I think I was probably negotiating between, let's call on the high side, $10,000 a year, mm-hmm. right? And uh, 
I mean, at the time when you're coming out of college, that is, that is every, I mean, $10,000. I mean, I had, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Yeah. College was expensive. I, I had huge college loans. I, I paid for about at least half my own college. And so, I mean, $10,000 looking at a bank account of zero in, in additional money compared to another offer was yeah. huge. Wow, absolutely. Uh, and yet I, I fast forward, you know, eight, 10 years and the variance between good and outcomes of different companies is, is you know, easily 20x, 50x, 100x that. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that, that was a good starting point for me to not only make that decision, but to then see that was the right decision. There's no question about it. Um, so from there, I went and, and one thing I like to tell people is, uh, you know, there's not, it's not just all uh, success stories along the way. Yeah. I like telling the, 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 the downfalls, I, I guess. It. Yeah, me too. Um, so I went to a college marketing company from there and it was a small shop, about, about 20 people, but I was brought on to basically head up our, um, our entire digital business. Mm-hmm. They didn't have one. So it was, a, it was a magazine company. What they were doing was basically putting restaurant menus in a magazine and handing them out to kids, mm-hmm. students. And uh, so my job was to build the online version of that. Uh, today, that looks a lot like kind of a Grubhub. Okay. Um, but at the time, Grubhub wasn't really around there. They were just getting started. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, that was truly a startup. And uh, I learned a ton. Went there for about two years it ultimately failed, not really because of what I was doing. It was, it was a bit bad timing. Um, I definitely didn't do a perfect job, but the economy basically crashed right around then. Okay. What it's, year was that? It was like 2008, okay. 2009. Gotcha. And so what happened was the, the theory was the magazine business was supposed to support the online business. And what happened was the magazine business started to fail in part because the economy was not doing great. And the only way to really move forward would be to raise money against the online business. And there wasn't much money to be raised in 2008, 2009. Right. I mean, VC companies were, were really tightening back. So uh, I, I, we had built the platform and started to grow it. But we just – the big lesson there learned was um, building a good product is great. Having a good opportunity is great. But you also need to be well, either well capitalized or have the ability to be well capitalized or structured in a way where you don't need any money. But you, at least you got to think about that and, and prepare for potentially some, some downturns in the economy. So went back into digital advertising, actually the company I started with, and uh, eventually over a series of years built out our mobile advertising business at that company. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the early founders had left, which at the time was disappointing, but actually turned out to be a huge windfall for me because I was able to kind of move up quickly in the company. And so I, to be honest, I didn't go into that thinking mobile was going to be what it is. I didn't, yeah, that nobody. wasn't like uh, the plan. <laughs> right. Um, I just saw an opportunity to kind of run a division and uh, it turns out that was life changing. Um, eventually ending in Verizon acquiring the whole, the whole company, which at that point was a huge company. It made up of a lot of different things, but basically acquired it for what we had built on the mobile advertising front. Okay. And uh, so, again, I wasn't a founder. I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't own 50% of the company, which would have been amazing. But I did uh, learn a ton yeah. through that. And and one thing that happened was I was able to start to take some money I had made and invest it into real estate. Mm-hmm. So, and, so what made you think about real estate? When you had that. Yeah, capital. so this is like now 2011, 2012, 2013. 
And uh, so <laughs> this is actually a kind of funny story. Uh, and it gets back to where I kind of started with my, my friends always seem to be involved in these businesses. Um, so I was going on a uh, bachelor party and we were driving to Pittsburgh. So anyone who's driven to Pittsburgh from anywhere really in eastern Pennsylvania knows it's a yeah. biscuit straight shot in the turnpike. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, You got to drink a lot of coffee for that. Yeah. And that so trip. there's not a lot of scenery and it's mm-hmm. not very difficult. Stay straight and drive yeah. for four hours. So me and one of my best friends growing up, we were just driving together for four hours, driving out there to Pittsburgh. And uh, so he was a school teacher at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, he said, you know, the economy's start, you know, not at a great place, but starting to rebound a little. Everyone's getting out of real estate. And he said, you know, what if we were to take a kind of a contrarian view and instead of trying to bet on the market, what if we just made a long-term bet? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're at the time we're relatively young. We're in our, you know late 20s probably, you know, what if we said, don't even worry about the ups and downs of the market and just, you know, buy some some rental properties and realize that even if the market, because at at that time, real estate was a bad word. I mean, Mm -hmm. now looking at it, you were to say, should you get into real estate in 2012? Uh, You'd say, yeah, it'd be a great time to get Mm -hmm. into real estate, right? Um, The same way you'd probably say to get into mobile advertising when I did. But, but the reality was that that wasn't actually the plan. Mm-hmm. And I don't even want to try to take credit for it. The plan was, hey, what if you just ignore the market cycle and just make a long-term bet? And the bet being, in 30 years, would we like to own some rental properties that will probably appreciate over time? Yeah, and if the market goes up, great. We win even more. If it, if it goes down, it's actually okay because we're betting on 30 years, not on five. Right. So, you know, I mean... I mean, who would have ever known how nicely that bet would have played out? But so what happened was that meant we were getting into real estate at a time when it wasn't, I mean, real estate's now kind of cool. I mean, we host meetups that get 100 people nightly. Back then, I mean, you know, no one was coming to meetups. Nobody wanted to talk about real estate because everyone had just lost all this money and right. just fled yeah. the, the industry. Yeah. But we were kind of, in that way, we were not clouded by all that that had happened and just came in and said, let's just run a intelligent business. We're not trying to predict market cycles because we thought we, we didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. And so we started to acquire some real estate. And uh, then we started to go to some tax sales and, you know, did some crazy things. And I think one thing I've always learned in, in starting companies is, uh, so I'm a big sports fan, and uh, I always feel I may not be able to control my, my shooting percentage, but I can control how many shots I take. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, uh, and you know, again, I guess it sounds maybe kind of cliche, but I think so. So our approach to that was, let's, you know, so we would go to a tax sale and on a Saturday and Sunday, we would go check out a hundred properties. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, we would go walk a hundred properties. Now, some we couldn't get into, but, and we'd do everything. We'd, you know, we'd hop fences and we'd knock on doors and pay people $5 to let us walk through their house. And, yeah. and then come Monday we might buy one property that we'd spent all weekend, you know, looking for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people thought we were crazy. But, what, but A, nobody else was doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, but then we'd, we'd buy these properties for, I mean, literally like $10,000. What area is this? This is like Lancaster County. Gotcha. So central Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Then we started to move into other counties. So York County, but, you know, all in kind of that central PA. Gotcha. And were you using your own capital? We, we were, but what we were doing was we were, we'd buy it 
and we would kick out the tenant and we'd fix it up. But, you know, we're talking like a couple thousand dollars in mm-hmm. fix ups. And then we'd go to a bank and say, hey, we've got a new tenant in here. We'd rent it out. And this is my, my Nate, who's now the co-founder of the company with me. And he, he's the guy that was driving with you that said, hey. Yeah, yeah, know, same person. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so started out with a bachelor party, led to yeah. buying some properties. Mm-hmm. And then, so what we would do is, um, and, and really this is mostly Nate, what he would do is he'd put a tenant in there. And then we'd say, look, we've got a tenant paying $800 in rent. We'd go to a bank and the bank would say, this thing's worth $40,000, you know? Yeah. So we'd refinance it. The banks loved it because we both had jobs. We both had good credit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all in, maybe we were in it for 20, but at closing, we're like getting a check for 5K. Yeah. You know. So how did, where did the discipline come from when you, after closing, had all this cash in your pocket to, did you reinvest it or did you go party or did you, what did you do with that extra cash yeah. that's, that's tax free, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the beauty of this thing, the, the, that strategy. It is tax free. Uh, the discipline... I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not a big, uh, I don't really like buying things. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like cars. I don't, uh, you know. Because you put the money, right? You you did the Burr method, and then you basically took that money and put it into the next investment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? we're just, five years in, and I've not yeah. taken a, really, a dollar out of the company. Yeah. Amazing. Um, including our investments. Wait, oh, so you were incorporated when you started doing this? Well, if you think about it, it's really two different companies. Okay. So the first was an LLC that was really an investment company. Right. And so, um, but but that we've never taken money out. We've just put a lot in. And and now what's nice is now we've kind of stopped putting money in. And now it's it's kind of growing organically. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're still not taking money out. Um, money is just kind of sitting there and, and mm-hmm. the, it's, it's growing. We Any money we get out, we put back in to kind of reinvest in the company and fix things and make yeah. the houses better. Um, so... So we're doing that, and it's what I liked about it, and I think most people who start companies, most successful companies start really small, mm-hmm. and, and, and I liked that approach because we were able to learn you know, one house at a time. Um, I get kind of nervous when people are like, I'm going to go buy a 50-unit complex. Yeah. You know, I've never done it before, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I mean, I've got good friends who have done this and successfully done it, so it right. can be done. I, maybe On I'm their not, first deal? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, or a second deal. I buy a single family house and then deal yeah. number two is a 50 unit complex. Yeah. And I just think I wasn't smart enough to kind of make those huge leaps. Like for us, we always wanted to kind of just go one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And we've made a ton of mistakes. We bought things we probably shouldn't have bought. But um, we, the one thing we've done a good job of is buying things at the right the right price, mm-hmm. I guess. So we're not going to kind of overpay. We're going to buy things at the right price. And then if it's the wrong thing, that we don't want to hold on to long term. We can get out of it, but we're not in for that much money. And so, yeah, then what happened next was the, we started to accumulate these properties to keep in mind, Nate's still a school teacher, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm still in my digital advertising career and we, you know, we accumulated probably like 25 properties and we were like, man, we need a property management company to wow. manage these. Yeah. Yeah. So we interview all the local property management companies. Mm-hmm. And what we found was just, you know, coming from a tech background it just wasn't what I was really looking for. Um, Couldn't find what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we asked a bunch of our friends who are investors, like, who do you guys use? And they said, well, we self-manage because we don't like the prime management companies or we use a crappy prime management company. So, you know, that's what led us to kind of take a step back and say, why don't we create our own mm-hmm. prime management company? 
Uh, and well, you saw the white space and you filled it. Yeah, basically. but what's interesting was, again, uh, and I, I think what I try to tell people is like, I try to tell the true story, not the like. Yeah, know, absolutely. Let's get. Yeah, I mean, the 100%. true story was when we started a prime management company, it was it was kind of a afterthought. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nate basically just put up a web page that said Slighthouse Property Management, and uh, <laughs> we were born. And again, he was still a school teacher at mm-hmm. the time. So, I mean, we would have a client call us asking us about, you know, I mean, our first couple of clients, they would say, you know, phone would, my phone would ring and I'd jump into a conference room and uh, I'd say, you know, Slatehouse Private Management, how can I help you? And they'd say, uh, you know, I'm an owner, I'm looking for a single family, you know, rental to rent out and, uh, you know, can you guys help me? And I'd say, yeah, we can. And they'd say, great, can you, can you meet today? And I'd say, yeah, actually, we can meet around, how about like 4.30, 5 o'clock? Because I knew Nate would get done teaching at yeah. like, you know, 3.30. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, here I am, and I might be in like Chicago, uh-huh. you know, at the time, uh-huh. but I'm taking this call and I'd then set a meeting for him. So he'd end his school day and he'd have a text from me saying, you got to get over there to, you know, this house 20 minutes from you yeah. because we got a, a potential owner. And so he you know, first off, text me like, this is crazy. What are we doing? But then he'd go and he'd meet the owner and, and we'd start talking to him and start managing his property. And, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't sustainable, but we learned a lot. And what we, the biggest thing we learned was, holy cow, this is a huge opportunity. Yeah. And just that a lot of people go after a lot of things in real estate, but, but property management was kind of a need. And in particular, something that's tech-based was, uh, you know, no one was really doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Uh, now I'm jumping ahead a lot, but at this point, I mean, we've pretty well stopped our own investing. We still do a little bit, but we pretty well kept on the, on the halt. Mm-hmm. And now we're basically a, a property management company because right. and we were, we're managing about 3,000 units uh, because we found the opportunity there was was even greater than we realized. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we're kind of going all in on on just growing that company. We've obviously both left our jobs a while ago and. And now just running the private management company. Yeah. yeah. So you say three thousand. Um, you know, you're managing three thousand units. Where in what areas are you focused? Yeah. So Slate House covers basically New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and now Maryland, um, yeah. the three states. So it's, it's like a mid-Atlantic, I guess, basis. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And and at what point did you realize? Um, well, you had the 25 units that you and Nate were managing yourselves, right? Yeah. And then you put up the website and you said, okay, you know, let's just, you know, if we build it, they'll come. Yeah. And so how quickly did it start to scale outside of your properties? And how did you put systems and processes in place to manage the flux and the, the, yeah. the overflow? Yeah, so I always dealt with the growing the company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always kind of what I get excited about doing. So my, it's interesting, my background in digital advertising really helped. Yeah. So what I was able to do was structure the website in a way so that people would Google search property management. Even though we'd only opened our doors a month ago, mm-hmm. we were out. We were outranking many companies who have been doing this for thirty years. Right. Um, so, you know, everything from running Google search campaigns to we were up on different affiliate sites, and so we were getting leads. You know, I mean, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, they were slow to start. You know, for starters, it was, we might get two leads a week. Um, you know, whereas, I mean, now we might get, you know, two leads in a couple hours. So yeah, yeah. things have awesome. changed a lot, right? Yeah, uh, but but uh, but the Google, the, the advertising overall really, really helped us structure things. Uh, 
And then on the on the operations side, and that's always what what Nate's focused on. But I, I'll say him having a math background and me having a tech background have helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we come across something we're having struggle with, we've we found that it's usually that we don't have the right tech system in place. Mm-hmm. And and that system could be everything from, you know, the most basic a Google spreadsheet to all the way to, hey, we need to actually build a tech platform. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and and everything in between of just licensing various types of technology. But, uh, you know, I mean, I look right now, we're, we're probably using probably 10 to 12 different tech that we license, and we've created like two of our own pieces of tech. And, uh, yeah, so that's how we've able to, been able to be really diligent on growing, but also sustaining it through this back end that I think most folks just haven't done a good job of. Right. So would you say what most sort of traditional and and, and older property management groups, um, where they threw people at projects, you were more building it in tech. Exactly, exactly. And then use, so basically use the tech to be able to scale, use the advertising to be able to find customers, and then use our economies of scale to do things that like other companies can't do okay so like for example we have a bunch of roof we basically have a roofing company inside mm-hmm. of our company okay so we, we have a bunch of roofers so when the water's leaking you know we can try to get a roofer out there mm-hmm. right as opposed to uh, most companies are calling the subcontractor who's overwhelmed and may not get to it for a couple of months we have a little more control over that right um you know most companies are going to rent a U-Haul. In many cases, we're, we've actually been able to buy a box truck and then essentially rent that to the owners. Mm. So whereas before an owner might be paying $100 to rent a U-Haul for a day on a mm-hmm. trash out, mm-hmm. we're now charging them 40 50 bucks, which you can only do that. You know, If you're managing 50 properties, it doesn't make any sense to own a box truck. Right. right? But yeah. as you start to scale... You know, you can use use tech to scale and the, to handle the operations, but then start to think like, how can that scale create opportunities? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a uh, for any kind of business and any kind of entrepreneur right now. That's kind of what. That's what makes things happen, right? Like, yeah, it sounds to me what you guys have done, and I'm beginning, you know, to find this out as I move forward too in my businesses, um, is it's sort of like gremlins, right? It's like you drop the water on something and it just keeps multiplying because you create a business and then um, opportunities come and they complement. There's things that you realize I can take care of that. It's not exactly our core focus, but I'll handle that. And it makes sense and it's aligned with the business, but it complements what, yeah. uh, the core of what we do. So you, now you have roofing. You, you probably have, you know, general contracts. You have your whole team that's all, like it's all, and then there's a trash removal. And yeah, so all we've, got, we've got 100, about 100 employees and out of the 100, about 50 sit on the maintenance front. Okay, so yeah. So carpenters, cleaners, HVAC, plumbing. Um, yeah, yeah, because I've, I've worked and, and talked to property management groups um, especially in your area when that's how I met Nate and um, you know, it's more mom and pop property management mm-hmm. groups. And yeah, that was the issue was they're going to go call, you know, that, that, that handyman and 
they don't know necessarily. They don't they don't own his time, right? So then it's like it's so unpredictable. Whereas you have control and it's predictable. Yeah. So it's easier to scale. So um, l- let's. I mean, Slate House is just amazing, and 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 congratulations on where that's going. And I know you're you're talking about expanding out into other areas, yeah. as well. It's interesting. It's like uh, on it. It's I think so much. What I try to do is is when I talk to folks who want to start a company or who are running a company, I yeah. I, I, I try to, you know I try to be like brutally honest. And I think one thing people don't realize is I mean, man, even when the company's successful, uh, which which I think we're at least heading that direction. Uh, man, the day to day is so hard. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you know, and uh, I think you gotta have the internal fortitude to kind of just grind through those tough moments of you know the key employee quits and someone's got to pick up the bag or yeah. a client's not happy and you gotta just call them up and have that tough conversation of saying I'm really sorry, yeah. you know, and and we're not perfect and we're gonna get better every day and. Uh, you know, those are the tough moments or, or the weekends you're, I mean, you know, some of these weeks, we don't always get a day off, you know, um, yeah, we might yeah. be at a, at a conference all weekend or it's below freezing and, and pipes are freezing and we're just working through that. And I think, so what I'm trying to say is uh, it's not all like, you can tell the story a couple different ways. You can tell the story that's just like, man, we've just killed it and we're managing 3000 units on this huge yeah. company. And the other side of the story is like, you know, we've got a lot of mistakes along the way and, and, and a lot of hard work of, you know, jumping chain link fences and almost having a dog <laughs> bite my, you know, foot off. And it kind of depends on how you want to tell a story, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm 100%, you know, with you when it comes to just being transparent and, and telling people about, you know, not just the, the beginning is always that honeymoon phase, right? When you're starting a company, um, everything is roses. I've read this book, Scott Belsky called the messy middle, and he talks about that that stage being uh, the beer goggle, the startup beer goggle stage, where everything is roses, yeah, and you love it, and then nothing can go wrong. And he said, when people tell the story, like you're saying, they often talk about the end, the beginning, and the end, where they say, "And then I sold the company for five million dollars, hooray!" Right? But no one talks about the messy middle. Ugh. No one talks about yeah. the messy middle, and I don't even know if I'm there yet. You know. But it always feels messy. It always feels like I'm learning. It always, even when you're there and you're in the mess, um, yeah, you can focus on the good stuff. But I agree. I think there's a lot more to be learned from that part of the business and the daily grind. And I mean, because the reality is, the start and the end are so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I mean, I look back at what we did on the mobile advertising front, and you know, the the, the first couple of days were great. You know, you're like seeing money come in and the team's jazz. Everyone's yeah. like, what are these guys doing? This is crazy. And then the end was awesome. I mean, the company ends up being acquired by Verizon in, in, in part to what we did. For sure, not everything thanks to us. They acquired much more than us. But, uh, you know, but the middle, you know, there are just some days that are just a slog. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what makes the company, right? It's not right. – I mean, anyone – Maybe not anyone. Most people, are, maybe some, some people are too risk adverse, but a lot of people can create something. Yeah. Right. Start the throwing point. Yeah. Uh, and everybody can celebrate when yeah. someone wants to acquire it. But. Yeah. So here's a question that I have, be, be selfishly, because I want to learn from you and, and and get something, and hopefully the audience will find value in it too. Is um, how do you find tools and resources to motivate your team? Because when I hire folks. And yeah, they're all in it because, you know, I'm passionate. I love what I do. You know, here's the vision. And then three months, six months in, 
you know, they're like, uh, you know, uh, I got, <clears throat> I'm sick right. of it. You know, like, how do you keep them motivated? Because they're not, they don't have stake in equity the way we do with our companies. Sure. But how, do, yeah, what do you do to instill that ownership, you know, within? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I often tell them, at times I'll tell them uh, that it is their company. Yeah. Um, because I want them to feel that way. Uh, I think, so I think one thing that we try to do is we hire a lot of people who honestly are don't have a ton of experience. Mm-hmm. And I just see something. I, there's a couple things I look for. I look for people who are willing to work hard. I look for people who I think have shown that they're willing to make a commitment to something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look for people who are honest. Because I think some of those traits are things I can't really teach. Yeah. But I don't always need them to have 25 years experience in doing a specific skill because I feel like I can oftentimes train that. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, and this doesn't quite answer your question, but I think it's, it's kind of an end around, which is when you hire that person, when we've hired people, I mean, here's like a really a real example. The person who now runs our maintenance division. We hired her right out of college, and I, I say her, it's a, it's a female, mm-hmm. which by the way is already unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, most females mm-hmm. are, don't work in maintenance. Right. And frankly, she didn't have a lot of maintenance experience, but she, she, she wasn't brought in to run that division. She was brought in to uh, just help us be a, essentially like an admin or you know, kind of schedule stuff. And, but she, she had a background. She was a Division One swimmer, which mm. told us a lot, right? Yeah. Clearly a lot of hard work focus, yeah. and focus and, and, and willing to stay at something for the last 10 years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we said, look, this is the kind of, you know, and so once they got going, we very quickly were able to uh, promote and uh, give her more responsibility mm-hmm. at a time when, uh, you know, pretty early in her career. Yeah. And so I think for someone like that, not only... Is she seeing f- firsthand the opportunity, but she's also able to see that her life is changing, that she she joined a company at nothing, and now she's given all this responsibility yeah. and, and obviously, you know, more compensation as she goes. And so I think, uh, as so that, as opposed to hiring someone who had maybe, you know, uh, 20 years of experience who had jumped around to 10 different companies along the way, Yeah, you know, just doesn't have that same, uh, I don't know, kind of passion for the company, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they've been through the grind, right? They, they, they've, they've had the experience and um, they're, they're not as hungry. Right? right. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's hard to find people with experience that are also hungry and have an entrepreneurial sort of mindset. You know, um, that, that, that's the... But, but we don't necessarily need everyone to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, that's the only thing I want to say is like, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of people who are uh, not entrepreneurial at all, to be honest. Yeah. They're, they're just really good doers. Yeah. Like they are blocking and tackling every day. Yeah. And those are important. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, you have the rock stars and then you have the rocks, right? And um, I find that when I started my agency on Air Brands, I wanted all entrepreneurial mindset people i'm like i you know at the interview process was like hey you know you're 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 gonna have ownership you're gonna have you know you're gonna we're gonna give you the tools you need and you're gonna just just own it 
And what I found is hiring those type of people and all 100% of those type of people is they'll leave because they learn what they need to learn. And then they're like, you know, F it. I, I, you know, I got the skill set. I got the mind. I got the drive. I got the passion to just go do it myself. So, I mean, yes, they're entrepreneurs and they're inside and they're doing things to grow and, 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 and treat the business like it's theirs. But I think increases the chance of them leaving if they... Yeah, I think that's part of it. The other thing is that... Uh, one thing I found is that some of our best operations people, which are really important for a company, mm-hmm. are not... Ex- you know, they're not... Uh, they don't love to be externally facing. They, they they don't look like an entrepreneur. And they don't even necessarily interview great, Right. you know, to be honest. I mean, some of these people we've interviewed, you think to yourself, is that what I'm looking for? But they're just... They're so disciplined, and I think that uh, one. So one thing I found is that honestly, I'm not. There's a lot of roles in our company that I don't interview them because mm-hmm. they're not. They're 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 very different than me, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Yeah. I mean I mean that in a in a very good way, in that we need complementary skill sets in this company, and so making sure that the company is not all entrepreneurial rock stars yeah. because. You know, you need some people who can just work through the day-to-day yeah. and get, get problems resolved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agreed 100%. And that's something that I learned um, the hard way. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you, you need all of those buckets and you need different types of personalities that all complement each other. Yeah. Um, so with Slate House Group out there, um, how can people find your website, your Slate House crew, if they need any and all of your services? What's a way to reach? Yeah, team? so I mean, my, my email is chad at slatehousegroup.com. So that's Slate, like a S-L-A-T-E, like a slate roof. Uh, and Or just our websites, slatehousegroup.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'd love to... You know, I love spending time with folks who are trying to do interesting things, for sure in real estate, but but even outside of real estate. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, business mindset folks and people who you know just need to be around others that. Yeah, and we didn't mention this, but um, so we were so passionate about being around other smart people. We've one thing we've tried to do is we've we've built meetups in all our towns. So we have about eight or nine different meetups now that you can find on meetup.com mm-hmm. for real estate investing. But the other thing we've done is we've actually now started to turn our offices into co-working spaces. Yeah. As we were talking. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what we found was we, were, we had all these offices that were, frankly, kind of boring. And uh, our employees wanted more fun offices, more exciting, better places. But uh, – Frankly, we didn't really have the budget to support it. So it was like, how do you make a more exciting environment when you don't necessarily want to make it bigger? And where we netted out on was, man, we've got some other folks who have the same problem we do. So we decided to start turning our offices into co-working spaces one by one, uh, either moving to a different space if maybe that space didn't work or if maybe the space already worked, just turning it into one. So we have one here in Trenton that was the first one to launch. We, we call them the Hive. Yep. And uh, they're... They're great. I mean, they, they do exactly what we wanted. They bring together great people. And I think they also create a better working environment. Uh, you know, 
most small businesses can't have an office as cool as Google and Facebook and, and these big companies. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you do that? And I think for sure uh, you can still do it even if you're a small business. And you just got to surround yourself with the right kinds of people. And I don't just mean the people in your company. I also mean other surrounding companies Yeah, is really important. Yeah. I mean, what I love about the concept of the Hive and co-working space in general is um, – it aligns with that whole mantra of, you know, your network is your net worth and surrounding yourself with people and like-minded individuals on a daily basis, you know, can exponentially change, um, you know, your trajectory and your path and get you to where you want to go at a much faster rate than you normally could on your own. Yeah. So what the Hive does um, is foster that and it really helps solopreneurs and entrepreneurs get together with others so that, you know, especially in this space, there are a lot of real estate investors. And I remember the early days when I first got into real estate, which, you know, I talk about it like it's a million years ago. It's only been a couple of years. But um, when I first met Matt and I was like, man, this is a great space. This is before, you know, the hive was here. And um, I used to talk to all my other buddies and said, you know, let's, that's it. Let's create like an incubator there. You know, let's create something. You know, I was a big Silicon Valley um, guy. And yeah. um, I was like, man, that would be such a cool hub for all of us to just meet because we have a mastermind of like five, six guys. And, you know, this is this is it. Uh, and when 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 Matt told me you were doing it, I was like, oh, crap, I was talking about that too, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's necessary. And there's definitely a need and desire for this type of space. Um, so, yeah, kudos to you um, for jumping on that and making it happen and, um, and getting everybody together to. Yeah, and I mean, if you're, if you're in one of the areas where we have a hive, love to have you come by to one of our meetups yeah. or even yeah. be a part of the, the space. The, it, the cool thing about this, a lot of these businesses we run, whether it's property management or the hive, these co working spaces, the, the businesses get more valuable as more smart, talented people join. So mm-hmm. with our property management company, when we get really smart investors who we start managing their properties, our company gets smarter as well. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing's true with our uh, co-working space is that as we get more passionate, awesome folks to come uh, be a part of it, everyone wins and the space gets better and then more smart awesome people want to join right yeah i mean it's it's the collective it's the hive you know, yeah it's a perfect name um so, so i think i think it's a good concept in business right it's like yeah if, if if the business gets better as it gets as more people join the business i think that that is a really i mean look whether it's airbnb or facebook or i mean twitter or any of these companies they all share that same thing and i know those are a lot of all those are tech companies but it doesn't have to just be a tech company that, that has that um, part of it where as more clients and more smart people join on, it gets more valuable. I think, man, if you can, if you can find something like that in any industry, I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, what, what you're doing in a physical sense um, is what people are doing online now, which is building communities, you know, whether it's through your Instagram following or, you know, Snapchat or Facebook or whatever it is. Um, everybody's all about the online community and building yeah. that. So what you're doing is taking it back to its core, which is, you know, let's meet face to face. And that's where I found... Um, you know, bigger pockets. I thought was like this really cool online community of, in, of real estate investors, but I needed to take it to the next step, and it was the meetups. You know, it was meeting people like you and and and, and my other buddies. And it's like, why isn't there more of it? You know, it right. seems like there there should be more of it because eventually you're gonna have to go out there and meet and shake hands yeah. and and pass out business cards as antiquated as it sounds you know it, it's still a thing where you know people need to feel in touch and know that you're real yeah, yeah. I, I do think uh as much as i love tech 
there's something about knowing where someone comes from and knowing who they are that then when they say something, you just you have more context of what it means. Yeah. That's one thing I found is by doing all these meetups and doing all these kind of face-to-face with investors. I mean, every investor is different and what their goals are and what when they say something, when you when you truly understand what they're all about and who they are, yeah. I found that it uh, y- you can grow a lot quicker with them and make better decisions for them. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good, man. Cool. Well, awesome, dude. Thanks for what you're doing uh, for the community here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Trenton loves you for it. And um, the building here and then everybody here within this community. Loves yeah. It. I mean, I definitely appreciate it. I, I love this awesome being on the show. I really, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. For, this is great. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, I think uh, since we're sitting here in Trenton, Man, trending gets a really bad rap. Oh, it does, <laughs> and it's interesting. It's like we so we manage stuff in some other prop, other we manage stuff in Baltimore, Trenton, uh, Allentown, Harrisburg, Harrisburg. Yeah. yeah, some of these places that uh, do not kind of leap off the pages as being you know yeah. this isn't Austin and Seattle, right? Uh, but what I find interesting is like I I, I mean I, I definitely think that the the media has done a disservice to some of these areas mm-hmm. in that it's kind of created this like storyline, which is these areas have high crime and they're deteriorating. And instead the story is like, you know, places like Seattle and San Francisco are the place to be. And as we've gotten into them and starting to know, I mean, I, I, I you know, a year ago I spent no time here. So now I'm spending more time in some of these areas there's great places there and these are great communities and there's still an urban i mean there's still there's a lot of urban growth happening in places like trenton and bethlehem and baltimore just like it's happening in these other cities mm-hmm. it's just not getting as much attention but the, the the numbers still show that people you know this the you know whatever you want to call it the millennial generation or whatever these people are even older they they want to move back into cities because cities offer something that sub, suburban areas don't right so yeah. There's, yeah, a lot, there's a lot going on here. It's positive. Yeah. No, thanks for highlighting that because I agree 100%. I mean, I never would have stepped foot, you know, in Trenton um, until I started investing in Trenton and realizing that, you know, yeah, I mean, there are there are areas that you shouldn't be walking around at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, but there are other areas that you can be, you can walk around, you can feel safe. And, you know, it's the culture is there. The food is there. The music's there. That, that, that's the not life. other places, right? Yeah. And it's in Trenton, you know, and, you know, Baltimore and all these other areas that have a life and, and vibe in and of itself, you know, a culture that people don't experience because like Chad said, it gets a bad rap, you know, and, um, you know, yeah. there are other areas that people want to go to that are, you know, more popular. And yeah. Safe it's like, and- it's like people want to talk about the stuff, the negative of some of these places. Yeah. But you don't hear the positive that like you can't get out in a even in a country club yeah. out you know in the, in the you know right. or, or, or your average you know cul-de-sac uh, community you can't just walk down the street and get a Cuban sandwich yeah. at a very local Cuban restaurant right you know like you can around here yeah so. yeah absolutely um, and, and it's funny you have to be here to experience it you have to be here to know that it's the truth. Um, and, and it's just that you, ha- I guess you have to know someone that will bring you here. So, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> say, we did. Hey. Uh, Matt, Matt Faircloth, anyone who knows yeah, Matt. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, uh, exactly. He's yeah. why we're here. So. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Chad, I mean, so how else can people reach you? How can they find the hive? Yeah. So, uh, if you want to be a part of the hive, the website is hiveoffice.com. 
Okay. Uh, I think there's a, there's a form there to fill out more info to hear what we're up to. Awesome. The first one's in Trenton, but we have more coming in other mm-hmm. places you'll see Can in you Pennsylvania. Any of those? Okay. Yeah. So Lancaster and Elizabethtown, these cool. are both like central PA locations. Uh, they're launching in April of Sweet. 2019. Awesome. And uh, so, yeah, we'd love to have you there. If you want to launch a hive, uh, if you're entrepreneurial, and this, you know, this is this is like an entrepreneurial thing, right? Yeah, There's absolutely. like entrepreneurs listen to this thing. Oh, well, that entrepreneurial circle. Is All right, entrepreneurial circle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you've got if you own a space or you've you've always thought about, man, this could be a cool place for something that that feels co-working. Shoot me a note. Love to hear more cool. about it. And uh, yeah, our, our website's slatehousegroup.com. Uh, I'm on cool. LinkedIn. So. Awesome. Awesome. So folks, look for Chad. Uh, what's your email again? Chad at slatehousegroup.com. Perfect. Yeah. And reach out to him for, you know, either property management or, you know, you want to be part of the hive, you want to own or or be a part of the hive and help to build one. Um, Chad is more than willing to talk to you about that. And um, what else do you have going on? Anything else you want to share? Got a two and a half year old daughter. Two and a half year old daughter. Congratulations. So uh, in case my wife hears this, uh, (laughs) give give my family some props. And I'll tell you this, on this topic, it it, uh, just on a very true level, uh, whether my wife hears this or not, is if you want to go down this entrepreneur path, man, having a family that is supportive. Yeah. uh, Thank you for saying that. And I mean, so I mean, I just... Man, my, I mean, my family's great. I, uh, I mean, my wife pretty well takes care of Izzy, my daughter. Uh, I mean, at least Monday through Thursday, I'm, I'm pretty well never home. Yeah. I mean, I might be in Trenton one day, Allentown the next. Yeah. So, folks, I, I, Chad, when I found this out recently, you know, because I see him out here, he's networking, he's running the show, he's building companies. And I found out that he lives in Maryland. Yeah. And here we are in Trenton. I see him in New Jersey all the time. You know, you came out to speak at our Princeton meeting. Yeah. And when I found out, I was like, dude, you commute every single day from Maryland? That's sick. Well, it's not I really mean, commute. So it's, it's actually, it's like, I, uh, so I don't really, I end up spending the night. So like about once a week, I spend the night at my, my mom's house. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> uh, yeah, but still. Yeah. And then I'll you're... stay at my co, my, the co-founder of the company, Nate. I stay at his house for a night. I stay in hotels here and there with other, you know, leaders in our company, uh, which I actually love. Yeah. I think it's really great to, this sounds really crazy. This is now my like crazy entrepreneurial thing. Um, it is really good to, at like eight o'clock at night, you know, usually people are done emailing and if you can spend like eight to 11 with, with another leader in your company, mm-hmm. just sitting on the couch and just going through stuff. Yeah. It's really quiet. There's no distractions. And I have found it's a huge secret to our success. Now, the the caveat is you got to have a family that's like okay with you not maybe being around as much and kind of yeah. sees also the vision. I mean, I always tell my family, I'm not doing this forever, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be up in Trenton every night you know, yeah. the rest of my life. But we're trying to build something. And, the, and then I think that's great if, you're, if your friends and family can buy into that collectively we're kind of all building something together uh, that – is really almost the point where it's essential. I don't know how you could do this if you were getting a guilt trip at home. I think it's right. really hard. No, you, yeah. you couldn't. And yeah, I mean, Chad brings up a wonderful point and you need a support system. You need a strong foundation at home um, to help you through those ups and downs, you know, because yeah, sure, you can have cheerleaders in your corner, but are those cheerleaders going to be on the sidelines, you know, when your face is in the mud, yeah. you know? Um, and, and I agree, wife, family, children, you know, um, parents, people who are back there who know you 
and and understand you know your drive and your passion and are willing to step in front of bullets for you I mean, I mean that is key man and and even not just with family and friends you, i'd say say team members too you know yeah i mean it's tough i think that like that's one thing we didn't really think about when we started making hires but really played out over time was that what's going to happen when things aren't great right, right. Yeah. like building a company is not Especially, if, well, whether you're growing or not, but if, if for, as someone who's seen growth, uh, if you're growing, there's there's just bound – things aren't going to be perfect every day. Yeah. And you're going to have to work through some stuff. And you're going to have people say things to you that aren't the nicest. And you're going to have some tough days. And that's when you that's when you see, you know, what someone's all about. Yeah. And so, you know, do you have people who can stick there with you and say, like, I'm in this and we're going to figure it out together? Yeah. Uh, that's, really, that's really crucial. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Um, well, thanks for having me here at The Hive. Yeah. Glad you can make it. So that was Chad Gallagher from the Slate House group. Uh, what a great interview. I love chatting with him, him and also, you know, feeding off his energy. And he's so inspiring. I just love his story. Um, some of the key takeaways for me, you know, is, is having a, a family that supports you you know, and family that sees your vision. That to me is so true. And, and, and that is really important and really key to driving you, especially on those long, hard days when you're just not around. And like Chad, he's not home a lot. So he has to travel all the time. And, you know, he, he, he has a family to support him in that concept, which is really, really important. Um, I also thought what he said about, you know, he'll do whatever he has to do, which is really cool. Like just, you know, staying where he has to stay and staying on, on sleeping on people's couches and with coworkers and employees. I mean, you got to do what you got to do to to make it all work. And we all know that it's it's a short term sort of long term thing where you put in all that hard work and you sacrifice your time with family bit in the beginning. But it's really for the idea that you'll be spending the rest of your life with everything sort of automated with systems and people and teams in place to operate your business while you're out and you're having fun and spending that quality time with family. So a lot of upfront time and um, it's for the long run, it's the long tail. So folks, that was Chad Gallagher and I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I for sure um, got a lot of really cool things and um, I loved hearing his story and because and, I know Chad and to hear his background was was really inspiring. Well, that's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes or any other podcast platform. Please rate us on iTunes as well. And always like, subscribe, and share this show on social media. We'd greatly appreciate you for it. And also, what do you want to hear on future shows? What challenges are you having? Any success stories that you'd like to share? We'd love to hear from you. If you're on the Anchor platform, you can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. So once again, folks, thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. I am Eric Cabral. And don't forget, folks, your network is your net worth. Get in the circle. Mm-hmm.